Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome back to Apply Filters, episode 48. Uh, today's episode, as usual, is sponsored by the WP Ninjas, the creators of Ninja Forms. Uh, they do a lot of awesome stuff over there, so go ch- check them out. Uh, today, Brad and I are going to be talking about custom tables. This is something that we've talked about quite a bit in the past, but we're going to go a little bit further because I think it's a very important subject. Before we dive into custom tables, though, Brad, why don't you give us an update on some of your recent projects? Yeah, sure. I started promoting WP Offload S3 uh, finally. Uh, we've had it launched kind of quietly for a month. And because uh, it was the end of August, we didn't want to promote it while people were on vacation. And so, yeah, we started blogging about it and stuff. Um, and uh, I've been emailing with potential customers a lot, like that were confused about our pricing because <laughs> uh, we're our pricing we're pricing by, based on the size of the media library instead of per per number of sites, like most uh, WordPress plugins do. There's a little bit of education uh, that's required there. Uh, there. We do have all the answers in the FAQ, but as you know, people don't always read yeah, the FAQ. People don't read FAQs. <laughs> um, so what would they do? They send us an email, and then I send them a link to the FAQ uh, in a very polite way. <laughs> you so, know, my favorite, my favorite aspect of people not reading FAQs is that if you don't have them, you get bitched and moaned at for not having FAQs. Right. But when you have them, they're not read. Right, right. <laughs> Well, I think it's, I think <laughs> it's impossible it, to please. I think they like I I have never done a heat map of of the the pricing <laughs> the pricing page with the FAQs on them, but I bet you people do read them, right? Um, oh, absolutely. I yeah. mean, we we know that whether it's people complaining that you don't have FAQs or people that didn't read FAQs, most of those are probably outliers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let, me, let me be clear. I'm not saying that you, we should not have FAQs. I think this is very <laughs> important. Right. Um, one thing I realized uh, just preparing this episode uh, is that I never really explained what WP Offload S3, what, what we're selling uh, with, the, with the upgrade or the pro version or whatever you want to call it. One of the things in the free version that's missing is the ability to upload your existing media library. So if you're just starting a site that's like empty, then it's fine, right? You just use a free plugin and start adding items to your media library and they'll get sent to S3. But if you have an existing site with thousands of media library items already, you have to, you know, upload those to S3 somehow. So the pro version has a a tool to do that. And uh, we've taken great pains to make it robust enough to handle like massive numbers of uh, massive media libraries. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And and so like one of the things that it does uh, is find and replace uh, URLs and content as it uploads stuff to the to the media library. So uh, let's say you have a media library uh, with, you know, uh, let's say 100,000 uh, items, which is not uncommon. Uh, and, and maybe you have 10,000 posts, let's say, in your uh, like posts of content, blog posts or whatever. Uh, well, what after it uploads to S3, that file, it queues it up, the find and replace. Because you can imagine how long it would take to upload 100,000 media uh, library items if uh, you were also running a find and replace on 10,000 posts for each one of them. Yeah, it's not going right? to work very well. Yeah, so we're dealing with like pretty, we're dealing with some pretty massive scaling issues uh, throughout 
throughout this project. So that's why one of the reasons it took so long to hammer out properly. Um, but so those are two things, two major things in the, the pro version. Um, you're, you can control your uh, files in S3 from the media library. So there's like on each uh, item in the media library, you can copy it to S3. There's like a, a link or a button for that. Uh, you can remove it from S3 if it's already up there. If you copy it to S3 already and, and you've removed it from your local server, there's a, there's a function to copy it down from S3 and back onto your, to your local server. Um, That's great. Yeah. How well does it um, integrate with plugins that work with the media library? Let's, let's say, for example, you have a plugin that either adds or removes items from the media library using some of the core functions inside of WordPress. Does Perf- it pick up on those? Yeah, it works perfectly with those plugins. We love those plugins. Awesome. <laughs> what we don't yeah. love is the plugins that create their own functions to upload files to WordPress, but not into the media library, or or they add them to the media library in some weird way that doesn't use the core functions, uh, and they don't fire the hooks. Uh, and then people expect our plugin, of course, to work uh, with it. Um, and that's just not realistic. It can't, we can't cover... every plugin that does their own thing, right? So what we've decided is for those cases, if there's enough requests from customers, for example, NextGen Gallery, right? It's hugely popular and it uses its own system for managing uh, the the galleries of of images. Uh, We're going to do an add-on for that that will send those files to S3 and serve them from S3 within WordPress and, and on the front end of the site. So that'll have to be custom, a custom add-on that hooks into NextGen's hooks, right? Because there's just, they, they do their own thing. So yeah, we, we can't, it's not going to work for every situation, but uh, yeah, we've done some, some funny things to, to make it work in most situations. It's really the best you can do. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, when yeah. you find a new situation, you see if you can account for it. But I mean, there's yeah. so many vast ways of doing things that it sounds, it sounds like you've already covered the, the primary basis. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, we're doing, uh, Ian came up with a really cool uh, little hack. Well, I wouldn't call it a hack. It's, I don't know, it's really, you be the judge what it is. <laughs> it's, so So we've had plugins, a lot of plugins uh, expect the local file to exist, right? And and we have an option that you, to remove the local file, file once it's, once the file's been uploaded to S3, right? Just wipe it from the server. Um, and, but a lot of plugins expect that file to be on the local server to whatever, to manipulate it or, yeah, or do whatever, I've, right? I've done that in a plugin. Sure. And Ian was trying to figure out a way to satisfy all those situations. Uh, and what he did is he uh, he built a, a stream wrapper. So in PHP, there's these this concept called stream wrappers on a, and uh, you can create probably going to botch this explanation <laughs> but basically um, you know how like uh, in PHP when you like file what's the, the function file get contents like that that function yeah. like you can add a URL in there or a local file like a file on the local file system or or you know different protocols right well you can register your own protocols in there so we, we what we've done we've registered s3 as a protocol. So when you when you use the file system functions, it'll replace the path to the file, the local file, with the path to S3. With with the path to the ah, file. That's S3. awesome. 
Yeah. So, so, the, so it'll actually just download that file, like stream it down to the server and then do whatever it needs to do with it, open it or whatever. Um, so I thought that was a pretty clever uh, little uh, solution. Yeah, that's super clever. Um, pretty impressed with that. Yeah, some other stuff is just add-ons. We've got an assets add-on that'll upload all your uh, CSS, JS, images, fonts, all that stuff from themes and plugins uh, to S3 and start serving them from there. We've got a WooCommerce add-on to allow you to serve your your downloads uh, in WooCommerce uh, from S3. It'll upload them and then set the file as private and, and then allow you to serve it from there with a secure URL. And we have the same, very same or similar functionality uh, with easy digital downloads. We have an easy digital downloads add-on, which, which you, you may be familiar with. <laughs> I've used it once or twice. Yeah, and so we're we're planning on having more add-ons, like I said, to to do similar. That's very things. cool. Yeah. So now that now that you guys have this out, uh, do you think uh, is there a potential that it will become uh, maybe on par with WP Migrate DB Pro, or in like in terms of like what your focus is? Is it is it going to be a side a side project? Is it going to become the primary project, or somewhere in between? Yeah, interesting. Uh, I don't know. If, <laughs> That's a tough one to to answer because like I don't feel like we have it was too new. <laughs> well, that and I guess my my feeling is that we don't really the plans for the future is to not have like any like flagship product. It's just to have a bunch of successful products. That's that's what I would love, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, it may be that Migrate DB Pro will always be our kind of like our our baby or like our, our flagship product and all the others will be kind of in its yeah, shadow no. or Even something. Even if it's not officially your flagship product, let's be honest, it's the one that puts you, really puts you guys on the map for creating these uh, really amazing plugins that kind sure. of go way up and above and beyond what we're kind of used to seeing with some well, of these. That's and, fine. And, and, and really has like really advanced tools for not just developers, but for, for sites. Um, I mean, there, there's tons of plugins, just as an example, there's tons of plugins that would allow you to export a database. But to do it in the way that WP Migrate Pro does is so much more polished and refined. Uh, so anyway, props Thanks, on that. Thanks, man. Props that's, that. uh, that's very, uh-huh. very kind of you to say. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to see the product launched. And I wish that I had a site that really justified using it. Uh, I don't, I've never, I don't actually use S3 for any of my sites, right. but I've been tempted to just to play with it. Yeah. So I, I, to answer the, the rest of that question, like the plan right now is to kind of like assign like two dev- full-time developers to each project to, to can you continue to push it forward. Uh, so that's kind of the, the, the kind of the long-term yeah, plan. Yeah. I think that's something you will pro- pretty much have to do as like, as companies get more products under the belt. Um, cause otherwise you just get ones that don't, they either lose focus, don't get as much attention. Um, I've definitely found that with affiliate WP and EDD, um, and, and restricted content pro, um, we, aside from myself, um, like we have five people that work full-time on EDD. We have one that works full-time on affiliate WP. Um, and I think thing, I think for, for that reason, like EDD is, gets a lot of the focus. Right. Um, I see. But I yeah. think as as we grow, I think we're going to get another developer, for example, that does nothing but work on the WP or yeah. like ninety percent. Yeah, I think that makes so. sense. Like to to give it to give it a little bit more of a push forward, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, what have you been up to? 
Well, uh, WordCamp South Africa was this last week, and uh, my family and I flew to South Africa for a week-long vacation slash WordCamp, which was awesome. Uh, I've got to say South Africa is a beautiful, beautiful country, uh, and Cape, we're in Cape Town, which is where WordCamp was. It's just an awesome city. Uh, if anybody is considering going or looking for someone to go, put that one on the map. It's definitely worth it. Uh, depending on where you are in the world, it's a very long flight. <laughs> I think we had. Uh, I don't think it depends where you where you are from. I think most people, it's a long <laughs> flight <laughs> for most people. If you are if you are anywhere in Europe, North or South America, or say Australia, it's going to be a really long flight. Actually, most of Asia will be a really long flight as well. Um, but it was about thirty one hours of travel time to get there for us, and about twenty eight hours to get back which uh, if you've ever traveled with a toddler and a one-year-old, uh, it's a little bit longer than 20, 31 hours in terms of how, what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing you spent the week. Did you, so you mostly bounced around Cape Cape Town or did you get out of Yeah, out of we, spent, we spent almost all time in Cape Town. Then, well, with one day, we, we traveled down to Capes Point, which is the, the, the southernmost point of Africa, uh, which is just, Absolutely beautiful. It's right there by the Cape of Good Hope. Uh, but anyway, so we had WordCamp South Africa, which was there. Uh, had a mini vacation and really didn't do a whole lot while I was there uh, in terms of work-wise. But as soon as I got back, then it's full steam ahead on getting two major releases pushed out. Uh, Affiliate WP 1.7 is getting wrapped up hopefully today. Actually, after I jump off of this episode, I'm going to uh, see if I can finish up the release and... Uh, wait for Mr. Andrew to wake up since he's in New Zealand. He's currently sleeping. Um, so he can test all my changes. And then uh, Restrict Content Pro 2.3 is slated for release. Uh, I was hoping for today, but probably won't happen. It's got a little bit more work to do on it. So that's been kind of my focus for the last couple of days, along with a pretty significant EDD point release that we pushed out actually while I was flying over the, the Atlantic on the way home. Um, wow. Which was The times awesome. we live in. <laughs> yeah, awesome, right? Uh, so, yeah, that's been pretty much my focus. Did you give a talk so. uh, at, at, at the I WordCamp? Did. Uh, yeah, I did two presentations. One was a panel. We had a panel for e-commerce. Um, it was myself, Justin Santon, Mark Forster uh, from WooThemes, and uh, the head of development or product development at PayFast, which is the uh, primary South African payment gateway. Uh, we, so we gave, we gave a panel on e-commerce, which was very, it was fun. Uh, there was a lot of insightful commentary there. And then I gave a presentation or a workshop on backwards compatibility oh, as nice. well. What, do, by workshop, do you mean it was like, was it longer than a regular session or? It was. So WordCamp sessions are usually vary somewhere between 20 to 45 minutes. And in this, for this one, we had a full hour um, from start to finish. So there was, instead of there being 45 minutes or an hour between sessions, there's an hour and a half or an hour and 15 between sessions, uh, which gave us a week and talk for the entire hour, uh, which was awesome. Let us go a little bit more in depth. And with something like backwards compatibility, you really need to get in depth to be super valuable. Uh, so we were able to do that, which was fun. Nice. Nice. So did you do some live, live coding there too? Like, did you code? I didn't do any live coding, but I showed a couple of examples. Um, 
Honestly, I think a backwards compatibility workshop is something that I would love to do a five hour workshop on. So you can actually dive in and do some real coding and problem solving. Uh, but for even an hour, you're still kind of limited on just how much you can show. Right. Gotcha. Well, shall we jump into this? Yeah, sure. Should we, I guess we should preface this, uh, talk about custom tables, uh, that we've already talked about custom tables quite a bit before. Uh, back in episode 12, we talked a lot about custom tables, like why, uh, like when you should use them and when you shouldn't use them. Um, and yeah, that whole episode is about custom tables. So check that out. Uh, episode 32, we talked a bit about, about upgrade routines and you were talking about your transitioning to custom tables, uh, I think in affiliate WP and EDD or maybe not affiliate W. Anyway, you were talking about custom yep. tables and those products. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, check those two past episodes out. I think they'll give you a good kind of intro to custom tables. Um, and we've also had some blog posts. Uh, I've just blogged recently about, uh, well, I just, I gave out some kind of old code, <laughs> some code that I wrote like three or between three and four years ago uh, that that kind of helps manage custom tables a little bit. Um, and uh, and you've, you've been doing a, a blog post series, haven't you, Pippin? Yeah, I just started one uh, two weeks ago, I think. And uh, it's going to be a whole, whole series on custom-based tables. Um, and the, the, the premise of it is not just about custom tables, but it's the process of building an, a database abstraction layer for your plugins. So a complete API. So it'll be going through building a series of classes, building a class for each individual table, building out the API that allows you to interface with your database tables very easily. Uh, so I've only actually in, written the the intro post to it, but I'm hoping to get the um, the next post written sometime later this week or early next. Uh, and it, it should be about a, a five to 10 part series once I'm done, which means it'll take like five years to finish. Right. That there, you you made some really good in in your intro post. You made some really good points uh, about when you use custom tables, you have a lot of responsibilities with regards to certain things because you're not using you're no longer using WordPress's API. Your WordPress kind of takes care of a lot of the the, the important things, uh, so you have to be aware of what. Maybe you want to cover a few of those things. Just kind of mention uh, what yeah. they are. Uh, so one of the nice things about relying on WordPress APIs for things like, like for example, working at the WP post table or the post metas or comments or comment meta users, user meta, et cetera, is that WordPress handles um, several very important aspects of it. One of those being caching. So when you do something like uh, a WP query, WordPress is caching those results. And so if you run the same query five times on a page, you're really only running it once because you run it, it caches it. And any other time you run it, WordPress is pulling directly from cache. Uh, and this is a very, very important aspect of working with a database. Um, and so when, you, when you're using the WordPress core APIs or functions, that's all handled for you. When you have a custom table, that's not automatically handled for you. And so it is our responsibilities as developers that are building custom tables to do that. We have to build it ourselves. And, and that's one of the things that this, this tutorial series that I'm slowly working on is going to help cover. Another big one uh, outside of caching is security. 
So if you, let's say that you call uh, update post meta, the function in WordPress, and you pass it an array of information. WordPress core actually takes care of some of the sanitization of that data to ensure that you're not putting something into the database that's gonna be harmful. And so a lot of times you can actually, right or wrong, you can get away with actually sending unsanitized, potentially dangerous data directly into, into the WordPress helper functions because it handles it for you. What, what, what do you mean? Like what would be an example of something dangerous that, that you could pass uh, in? Um, unesca- unescaped data, f- for example. Um, okay. Oh, right. It's like, so like JavaScript that would allow sure. a cross-site scripting attack or something like that? Yep. Lots right. of different things like that. Right. Um, and so the, a lot of the WordPress core helper functions take care of it. So they don't let you do it, even if you try, even if you try to, or if you just didn't realize you needed to. When you are building your own tables and your own API to work with your custom tables, this isn't handled for you automatically. And so paying attention to security issues is really, really important. Um, you don't want to suddenly realize that you have either cross-site scripting vulnerabilities or SQL injection. Um, these are types of things that you have to pay a lot of atten- attention to when building custom tables. Uh, and there's actually a third point as well. Um, and Brad, why don't, I'll let you touch on this, but it's about maintenance. Um, how do you maintain custom tables is something that's definitely an issue as well. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, yeah, these, these are all really good points. And like, I guess there's a lot more, uh, for lack of a better term, responsibility. You have a lot more things to worry about because uh, WordPress core ha- handles so much of this, you know, on its own. Um, so you have to be constantly kind of auditing the code, probably uh, making sure that the things are, are done in a secure way, that things are cached properly, that you don't have performance bottlenecks. And so that that requires constant maintenance into the future, right? Like you, you constantly have to be maintaining that code and making sure that it's uh, secure and performant. So, I mean, that's the kind of the downside <laughs> to custom tables is that it's more work. Uh, but I, I think we've covered in, in the previous uh, episodes uh, of this podcast and in your blog post, I think you cover some pretty huge upsides as well, though, too. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely some big ones. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I think we've covered those pretty well. But maybe if, if anybody's not sure on some of those upsides, feel free to leave a comment here and we can either link you to references or get into a conversation about some of the more reasons for using custom tables as well. You So you recently wrote a blog post about custom tables that was really great uh, that you mentioned a little bit ago. And in there, you included an example class, um, which you call your WPAS model. Uh, for a database layer. Yeah, sure. It's I mean it's a it's just a class, an abstract class uh, that has uh, you know functions like get, insert, update, delete. Just you know a typical CRUD class like C R U D. Isn't that what does it stand for? Create, read, update, and delete. I think CRUD. Yes, anyway, I believe so. There's a few. Uh, there's a few different ways to say, I think there's a few different terms for this kind of a class, but uh, anyway, uh, all the, all the functions are static. So basically you would extend that model class uh, with uh, let's say a, 
uh, a class called WPS model uh, order or order meta, for example. Uh, and you, you could use that, uh, you could call those functions statically. So you could call like get and then, and then provide the ID that you, uh, up for the row that you want to get for that, uh, like get that order ID, get the data for that order. So that's basically it. I mean, it's like I said, I, I wrote it three, <laughs> three years ago, three or four years ago, and, uh, it did the job at the time. Uh, but I think if I was to do it over again, um, I would I would definitely do it differently. I'd probably do use a factory design pattern, or you know, probably do something like what you've done in in EDD Pippin, uh, and just kind of like basic instance classes. Um, sure. I want to inject something real quick for anybody uh, listening, and you would like to view this uh, to kind of get a better idea what we're talking about with these classes. Uh, we have links to them in the show notes. So if you are able to look at a screen while listening, go pop that open and it will help give you a little bit more context. Yeah, exactly. It's it's hard to kind of uh, explain uh, what code. I mean, it's code speaks for itself better than anyone can speak for it, I think, right? Absolutely. So what, one of the things that it does, it just returns like an array of data, right? And and I find it would be better if it returned an object with properties, instead right like and and maybe some methods so i would probably use you know object classes instead of the static way so um regardless of like some of the little nuances like returning an array versus an object making it static or not i think um it's important to kind of look at what the real the purpose of this class is um and it's basically a foundation for how you interact with your custom tables uh, a very simple class that you can then extend or reuse over and over again to make reading, updating, deleting, uh, inserting, et cetera, a really nice, simple task. So you're not, every time that you want to go update something in your DB, you're not writing an SQL statement. You're simply calling your helper function. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the database layer of your application, right? It's, it's to keep kind of all the queries in one place. Uh, I've kind of, I'd say, I have to say, like I've seen that fairly rarely in in the WordPress plugin space. It, it seems like there's very rarely a database layer to to plugins. Uh, I mean, you've looked at a lot more plugins than I have. So, what mm-hmm. what would you say? Like, I, I would, I'd second that. I think it's pretty rare, uh, and I think it's rare for two reasons. One is that not that many plugins, um, if we look at the sheer number of them, actually use custom tables. Uh, and even in cases, even plugins that could um, or maybe should use them don't. Um, we've we've got to ignore plugins that just have no reason to use a table at all. But so other plugins that would have a reason to use a table, not that high percentage of them do. And of those that do, um, very few of them actually have abstraction layers for their database, which is it's a, which is unfortunate because I think the very first time that you write an abstraction layer and then you use it, you'll realize just how X awesome it is yeah. to have one. Well, and it simplifies the rest of your code where where the kind of the logic of your application is and and, right. and, and where <laughs> like that's the stuff that if you got if you have queries mixed in with your logic that's you know do, doing some calculations or stuff it just adds to the noise it just makes it harder to read that that makes logic it much code. harder to debug for sure um, i mean let, let's say for example you have you're doing an you have an update process for something in your database and it's failing 
if you have your logic separated from your queries, it's much more, it's a lot easier to figure out which one of those is failing and then break it down and then fig- and go from there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, WordPress core, uh, to its credit has a database layer pretty much, right? Like the, it does, uh, actually does it because <laughs> it, it kind of mix mixes it up a little bit. It, it does to a degree. Um, so like the WPDB class is a database layer. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily provide some of the helper functions that yours does or the ones that I wrote in ED and affiliate WP do. Um, it, it kind of provides a simple way to process to, to run some SQL queries, but does not give you, uh, some pre-made queries to run. So for example, your, your class and the ones that I wrote have a get row or, uh, get column methods, for example. Uh, you simply say, this is the row ID from this table that I want, or this is the row ID and a column name that I want. WordPress core does not have that. They, ha- they do have some helper functions that help that. This is kind of going another layer, f- another step further. Right. Yeah. I'm just trying to think like, uh, it definitely doesn't have a distinct data layer. You know what I mean? Like there's not like a folder called DB. <laughs> it has nice like classes for each of the tables or anything like that. It is kind of uh, mixed in kind of with, with the other functions uh, still. So yeah, I mean, that could probably be cleaned up over, over time, over many years. I'll let you write that patch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of patches uh, <laughs> over many years. Um, but I have a question for you about, sure. um, about EDD. So if you were doing EDD over today, would you use a custom post type for orders or would you do uh, something else like maybe custom table for orders? It would have a custom table. No doubt about it. Really? There, okay. There's literally zero doubt. Um, I was like, and, I would guess like if, if I, I mean, just like the order itself, like, so not like yeah. the extended metadata or anything, just like the order. The order itself would be a custom table. Absolutely. Wow. I, I'm, I'm shocked. Because I I, w- I was going to guess that you would still use a custom post type. No, no, awesome. no. Okay, that's so, one of, so, so if why? I was to pick one regret from building EDD, it's that one right there. Wow. I wish that had never been in a custom post type. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, I, I touched on a couple of them, I think, in my blog post about custom tables uh, in the in, in the intro post for the series, and I'll probably touch on it more. Uh, but it comes down to a few things. Uh, and and the, so the biggest one for me is efficiency. Uh, the way that we store orders right now in EDD, they're stored as a custom post type. And then all of the order data uh, or the majority of the order data is stored as post meta. So just as a really quick analysis, uh, let's say that you have one order. And on that order, you have various fields. So you have a total, you have the amount in taxes, you have the amount in discounts, you have a billing address, which is going to be like six fields, line one, line two, city, state, province, country, postal code, seven fields. Sorry. No, six fields. I can't count. Um, now, not necessarily for EDD, but in most e-commerce places, you would also then have a shipping address, which would be another six fields. Uh, you're going to have things like a customer ID, which would come from a customer's table, probably. You're going to have a status for the purchase, perhaps a purchase method, PayPal, Stripe, et cetera. IP address, date. Product um, ID product IDs, which could be actually could be a, would probably be a separate table as well, because you might have multiple per product IDs. Uh, but in some way or other, you would be 
you would be relating it to product IDs. So it in this case, it would probably be relating to a row ID in the products in the sales log column or something or sales log table, something like that. Um, and, and that's kind of at a minimum. So you're looking at, um, I don't know, that's 18, somewhere between 10 and 20 fields at minimum for an order record. Right now, every single one of those in EDD is stored as a separate piece of post meta, which means that we have one row in the database that is the custom post type entry. And it holds a little bit of information, things like customer, uh, customer name, a title, uh, a date, post type, and a status is really about it. So out of the, I think like 18 or so fields that the WP post table uses or has, we're using five of them, I think, which is kind of crazy. So we have, so we have one row for the, for the main order. And then we have 10 to 20 rows in post meta for all the order information. So we're using 20 plus rows for a single record mm-hmm. for an order in the database. To me, this is absolutely asinine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this is nuts. Yeah. So the biggest reason for me is, is efficiency. Um, like when, if you want to, if you're storing stuff in post and post meta, sure, it works great. It's super easy to do. Doesn't mean that it's better. Um, so in our case, it'd be far more efficient to store it in a custom table. Um, and I guess, I guess, flip like, side of, yeah, I guess I, I, what I was thinking is that like, you might just, you, sure, you could have like a custom table for all the order meta where it would like, so instead of having 20 rows of order meta in the, in the post meta table, you would have one row in an order meta table with proper field, like proper, uh, field types for each, you know, piece of data. Um, and then, and then you, you would, but you'd still use the custom post type for like the object of an order, just so that in the WordPress dashboard, it would take advantage of all the things that, that all the goodies that come with the custom post type. Um, yeah. And there's some, there's some definite, um, truth to how that, that could work. And honestly, and that might be like, if we decide to, to move, that might be the way that we go is only moving the metadata. Um, I don't, I don't know the answer to that at the moment. My, my initial thought is no, if we're going to move it, we're going to move it all. Uh, because right now, so if we move it all, there's a ton of queries. And, and if, so if we move it, so let's say we have an orders table and an order meta table, the vast majority of the data would go directly into the orders table and a little bit would go into order meta. But if we have the majority of the stuff in orders, the, the number of queries that we can run, the kinds of queries we can run are exponentially greater than they are right now. Right now for us to run calculation queries for reports is painful because it's separated across the post meta um, and multiple rows in post meta. So as an example, have fun trying to come up with the queries to get you earnings for this month, uh, gross earnings, minus taxes, minus discounts, minus refunds, things like that. That Those kinds of queries are painfully difficult and slow to write right now because like taxes, total, subtotal, discounts, refunds, those exist over the course of like 10 to 15 rows per order. 
which is very difficult to query um, efficiently anyway. Uh, so yeah, I would, to, to get back to your question, I would absolutely do it in a custom table. Uh, and there's actually a very distinct possibility that in the next two years, we'll move EDD's payments to a custom table, which will be a pretty painful process, but we're going to try and make it happen. That's my hope. Eh, it won't be that bad. It, 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 it sounds worse than it is, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not convinced of that. <laughs> Um, um, did you want to talk about uh, DB Delta right quick? Sure. Uh, so maybe as a quick intro to anybody who is not super familiar with building custom tables in your plugins, one of the first things you should go look at is the function called DB Delta, which is a function provided by WordPress core and is a super handy helper function for creating tables, updating tables. Uh, and yes, um, basically it allows you to pass SQL create syntax uh, and it will create a table, but it also uh, has some a really nice feature of it as well that let's say that you, in version one of your plugin, your table is a particular schema. And then in version two, you need to change that schema. Uh, usually what you would do is you would write an SQL alter statement to alter a table. Uh, well, DB Delta, what you, what you can do is you can pass it the same SQL create statement but with your with your adjustments for your new rows and uh, column types or whatever changes you've made, and DB Delta will just automatically create the alter table syntax to update your table, which is super handy. Yeah, very cool. Um, it's a yeah. we use super it handy in, function. We use it in our plugins as well. Um, yeah, because you can just uh, you can just have the DBD DB Delta function sitting in your code and just mo like modify that create state create table statement. And uh, when you modify it, the next time the plugin version goes out and the DB Delta is run, it'll just magically uh, detect that change and, and, and uh, yeah, upload, update awesome. that table. We use it. Uh, Affiliate WP has table changes just about every major version because as we're either adding data, uh, altering data or something like that. So we have a generic upgrade routine that we run. Uh, and if we have changes to our database, all we do is just pass our create table statement to it and we're done. Yeah. You do have to, I guess I, I, sh I shouldn't make it sound too magical. You do have to version your database still, right? Like you don't want to be running that on every page load or anything like that, right? Well, yeah, hopefully, you, I mean, you should only be doing it whether whether you're versioning your database or not, which, I mean, you should be. Uh, you should only be running it during the install process or an upgrade process. Don't run it on every page load. Oh, please no. Right. I don't, I, I don't actually know how much of an effect it would have, but it's just, why would you do that? Yeah, but I, I guess that's what that was. The upgrade process is, is the part that requires you to reversion your database. Like, for example, right. what we, we do, we keep a like DB version setting in the options table, like DB version mm -hmm. for whatever plugin. And, uh, and, and then if that version is less than the current version hard coded into the plugin, then run run the DB Delta function or something like that. Yep, we do That's, the same, and we keep a version for each of our tables. So if we have like an affiliate WP, for example, we have four tables, and so each table is versioned along oh. with the main plugin version. Nice. That's neat. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, I think there's there's upsides to having one version number for the table for all of the tables or having a separate one, but we chose to do a separate. Yeah. I don't know. I think WordPress just does one. I think it has like one version. Yeah, I'm um, pretty sure it does. But anyways, yeah, I'm sure there's negatives and positives of that. Um, 
I guess uh, so. I I had a look. You were showing me the the EDD uh, cl- database classes. Are those released yet, or are they? Yes. Yeah, those are live. Oh, those are live. So okay. in, um, well, let's see. I can tell you in a moment. We so we have a we have a couple of database classes in EDD. Uh, in version two point one, we introduced a customers table. Uh, previously, we didn't really have a true definition of what a customer was in the database. If you were a customer that purchased while you were logged into a WordPress account, you were cut, tied to a user. If you purchased as a guest, your customer account was nothing more than your email address. There was some weird, uh, poor planning done there. So in version 2.1, we introduced an actual customer's table where so every single customer that gets, goes through the system is now stored in this table. Um, and it's been been a nice improvement for sure. But when we did that, we also introduced a generic EDD DB class, which is the same kind of base class that we talked about earlier that's in your blog post um, and that I'm going to get into in my in my blog series. Uh, but it's just a base class for interacting with our databases um, or with, with our tables. So it provides the helper functions for to get a specific row, to get a specific row based on a column slash value. Uh, to retrieve a specific column or to get a specific column by a particular value. So let's say that you want a customer, you want the customer ID and you want to find that based upon their email address. So you would say like get column by ID or you get get the column ID where the email equals this value. Right. Uh, we have our insert, delete and update statements. So, 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 you just, so you just extend that that generic DB class with whatever object database object right. so you right. have you have a customer database class as well yeah. that extends that generic one that's uh, correct yeah and it, and then inside that you have like functions special special functions that that are more specific to that object uh-huh. i guess too yeah uh, so we have um so a couple things so one our our generic class lets you set up the call columns and default values for each column in the database. So like our columns for the customer's table is a user ID, an email, a name, payment IDs, value, purchase count, notes, and date created. And we can set up those default values so that when we create a new customer, we know what the defaults are going to be in there. Uh, then our generic class has an insert function. But then our customer's class has an add function as well, or an add method which simply calls the insert. And the reason we do this is so that we can put in additional hooks, we can we can do some data manipulation, whatever we want. So when we, when we want to create a new customer, we just say EDD customers DB add, and then it does that stuff. Um, same thing, we have like a, we have a delete method for that's specific to the customers. We have things for updating individual columns in the customer database. Um, we have one for like retrieving. You can call like say get customer by, and then you can say I want I want a customer. Here is the email address, and so I'm going to get them from their email address. Um, we have all, all these different helper methods. That right. I don't see any. Um, I don't see any caching in the database stuff. So what what how yeah, are you handling that? So this that? is this is a really good this is a really good observation, um, and. Um, I like that you asked this question because if we look at yours, it's the same way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, uh, so 
Brad's playing with us here, but really, so what we have here in, 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 in the basic uh, EDD DB class, and if you look at Brad's uh, abstract class as well, you're gonna see that none of the, the query functions, whether we're talking about get, get column, get row, et cetera, none of them have caching on them. They're, they're direct database queries and they're returning the results. There's no caching, there's no anything on them. Um, and so if you look at that, you could first think, well, this is, that's not very good because if we're if we're querying customers over and over again, or we're querying whatever the record is, we need to make sure there's caching here because that's one of the fundamental um, aspects of a database layer. Um, or one of the things that you should be doing when you're writing plugins that do a lot of data. So the way that we've done it is our basic abstract class has no caching on it because they are meant for the raw queries that are happening. Then when we extend the class, say for like our EDD customers DB, and we will have a wrapper method in there, that wrapper method will handle the caching. So as an example, we have the, the abstract class has a git, um, a git method, which allows you to get a specific row. In this case, it doesn't, but uh, we would also have a way of getting a set of rows. Uh, so like, so let's say we wanna get all customers that um, match this or that, or we just wanna get the latest 20 customers. So what we do is we actually build in a wrapper method into the specific classes that extend the base, and those will have caching on them. So for us, we have a customers class that has a method called get customers that then kind of functions like say WP query where we can pass in the number that we want, the offset for things like pagination, uh, the order, the order by search parameter or anything like that. That method sets up all of the logic for uh, doing uh, the caching and the order buys and all that stuff. And then it calls a helper method, but that one is cached. It was kind of an extended explanation, but basically the base class is, is for raw queries. And then each of the classes that are actually used wrap those base methods with caching. Oh, I see. I see. Um, what if like, what about, have you ever considered like having a global function like called get customers and doing the caching in there or, or do, are you just kind of done with global, global functions? Um, we do it sometimes. Um, most of the time when we have global functions, it's because they started as global and then we introduce an object later. And so we just left the globals there for backwards compatibility. We typically don't introduce globals now um, for at least for this kind of stuff. Uh, but what we do do is we actually make um, the like the customer's database, for example, you can actually access it kind of in a way that you would with a global function. Uh, and, the, and that's done, that the reason that's possible is because of the way that the Easy Digital Downloads primary object is set up. It's set up as a singleton and what you can do and on, on it, um, it has properties for each of our databases. So you can say EDD customers get customers and you can call it kind of like a global function, which makes things really easy. Yeah, that's nice. I like, I like that pattern. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's, uh, it's worked pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I guess we should probably wrap it up. I just want to mention Big Snow Tiny Conf again. It's a conference uh, where you can talk about business and ski or snowboard. Uh, January 25th to 28th. It's coming up. We're going to start selling tickets uh, in a couple weeks. So, uh, yeah, you go to Big... 
bigsnowtinyconf.com and uh, sign up to our mailing list if you're interested. You should in definitely go and make me jealous because I would love to go, but I can't this year. So <laughs> there you Sounds go. Sounds awesome. All extra incentive to make it. <laughs> <laughs> make me uh, jealous. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, as always, uh, we really appreciate iTunes reviews. So if you haven't already, uh, yeah, hop on over to iTunes and, and give us a five-star review. That'd be awesome. And if you have, if you have any feedback anytime, let us know. Uh, we got some feedback recently that's kind of helped us get some good insights to how we're doing. So if you have any comments, good, bad, or ugly, let us know. Absolutely. Talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>